appreciate uh, your word. And uh, boy, I was hoping you weren't trying to get us to change the name of our church. So, <laughs> so thank you. Uh, okay, before we dismiss kids, so kids sit tight because I have something to say to you. Um, let me just, um, I'm so grateful to be here today. Uh, I'm so grateful for the church and how you have made it possible. Um, you know, we, we closed on Tuesday. We've had over 60 volunteers, adults, and a bunch of children help us move things, clean things, paint. Um, lots of work have gone in, and I'm just so grateful to God for that. You know, we aren't totally moved in. We're not ready for ministry, and I know we'd like to show the building off, but we, we don't want to do that yet, and there's some areas that we don't think are safe, and we there's some security things we're working out, and there's a whole lot of things we're still working on to prepare. So please, please honor that, as Luke mentioned earlier. Uh, so, Bridge Kids, we're going to start a new tradition today, and uh, here it is. When we, this is a new building and a new place and a new tradition. When we leave this room and go down to Bridge Kids, we're going to walk very carefully, uh, and we are not going to run, okay? We have a new tradition. So, kids, you are dismissed. Thank you very much for worshiping with us. This has been a big week. Um, one of the things that I'm grateful for this week is, um, you know, is Roe v. Wade has had a huge impact on our country uh, for years. And um, the Supreme Court saw fit to overturn Roe v. Wade this uh, past week. I'm very grateful for God that our Supreme Court valued human life. With that comes a whole new set of issues that have been brewing and are on the front burner today for the church and for our country. And I just want to say at the outset is how we respond is going to be so absolutely crucial. And I'm going to address that a little bit later, just briefly in the message. Uh, this is a, an historic time. So with that, we're going to start a new series today called The Church Refocused. And one of the reasons that I think it's important that we begin to refocus is because one of the exciting things is about having a new building, a lot of changes coming. Uh, we're, we're getting used to this. And you know what churches do historically? They begin to lose focus of their mission and they start thinking about how do we take care of this building? And that begins to drive ministry. And we want to continue to keep our focus on mission. We've worked hard at that. Church has done a great job of continuing to stay the focus on mission. So we're starting a six-part series, and it's going to be uh, from the book of Revelation, chapter 1 through 3. And I know that seems a little crazy because we just finished chapter 22, and now we're coming back to chapter 1. But, you know, we just touched on the book of Revelation in our series of Ready or Not, and I think uh, if you've been through the series, Ready or Not, you're going to see how many of these things in chapter 1 through 3 fit together with our series. But even without that, when we come to Revelation chapter 1, we have this vision of Jesus that John saw. 
And then we go to chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we have seven letters to seven churches. And Jesus addresses them personally, and he evaluates them. And so what I'm wanting us to do in the next weeks is to begin to evaluate how we're doing uh, in, our, in our ministry. Born in 1254 in Venice, Italy, his mother named him after the gospel writer Mark. Um, he didn't meet his father until he was 15 years old because his father was on a business trip. Then he joined his father and his uncle on another business trip. His journeys took him to Russia, Afghanistan, Persia, and China. He visited Burma, India, Sri Lanka, and Vietnam. He became very good friends with the emperor of China for over 17 years. He saw cities that made the cities of Europe seem small. He dined in a banquet hall that seated over 6,000 people where the people, all of them, ate on plates of gold. He saw the world's very first paper money. He saw vast munitions of gunpowder centuries before Europe could do those things. He returned home to Venice after 24 years of travel. He returned as a wealthy man. And people heard his story, and they found it really hard to believe. They thought it was fantastical. Um, and so he saw that his story was written down. His family and his priest rebuked him for telling these lies. And, and uh, later, scholars uh, went back through the book, and they found inconsistencies and inaccuracies. But they also found an amazing amount of things that were really true about these travels over this 24-year period. And if you'd like to read the book, it's called The Adventures of Marco Polo. Maybe you've heard of him. Even on his deathbed, his family and friends and his priest begged him to recant uh, his stories. He died in 1324, and, and here were his final words. I haven't even told you half of what I saw. I haven't even told you half of it. Another writer named John had an astonishing experience with God. And if we could interview him today, I bet he might say something like, I didn't even tell you half of what I saw. And we're going to start today uh, in Revelation chapter 1. So if you brought a Bible, and we also have Bibles for you to pick up anytime you want to grab one on the way in. We will have some scripture on the screen as well. And uh, I'm just going to read the first eight verses, because that's what our focus will be today. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of God. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the peoples of, of, on earth will mourn because of him so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, uh, you, you know, you probably saw this up here today and you wondered what it is. It is the pillar of truth. So, <laughs> verses one through three, here, here we go. God gives his favor to those who study his word and take it to heart. Question for you. Do you have God's favor on you because you take God's word, you study it, and you take it to heart? God's favor, his grace, his enablement, his strength because you take God's word to heart. We begin in verse 1. Uh, the title of the book, this is a pet peeve of mine, The Revelation from Jesus Christ. That is the name of the book. John tells us right off. The name of the book is The Revelation from Jesus Christ or The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Greek word for revelation is apocalypse, apocalypsis. It, and we, we say apocalypse. That would be a technical name for this book. Uh, it is the revelation. It is, okay, it is not revelations. If you want to call it that, it's okay. But that's not the name of the book. Uh, there are many revelations in it, if you want to say that, but the book is called, because the book is the revelation from Jesus Christ, and it moves forward to the biggest revelation in all of history in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus appears in his glory. That is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So God the Father gave the Son, Jesus, this revelation. Um, it's about to show his servants what must soon take place. Um, it's future history. Um, God wants to show his servants what's going to happen. It's future history. And uh, he, he uses the word soon here, and when we think of soon, we think of immediate. Why isn't that happening now? Well, the way they're using using soon in the book of Revelation, it's the idea of when this time comes, when it gets here, it will be a sudden, it will happen suddenly, and it will move along quickly. 
And then he says, he made known by sending his angel to his servant John. So the father gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to his servants. Uh, and, and, and then who would, I think, are angels. And he made known by sending his angel to the servant John. We don't know the name of the angel. Uh, may well have been Gabriel. There's really significant angels in specific passages. We know it was Gabriel in the book of Daniel. We know that Gabriel delivered a message to, um, in Luke to, to, to announce the birth of Jesus. And uh, could it be him here? He, he sent his angel to his servant, John. So who is this human author? The human author, verse, uh, John, in uh, verses 1 and 2. Well, John is the gospel writer, or the writer of the gospel of John. He's the same person who wrote the revelation from Jesus Christ. He's the same person who wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He is not John the Baptist. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John. Verse 2, who testifies to everything he saw, that, that is, the word of God. So John testifies, this is true, it is the word of God, it is from God, God does not lie, you can count on it. And then he says, and the testimony of Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's not only what the angel showed, but Jesus himself affirms that this message is true, that this revelation is true, that this book is true. That's pretty strong credentials for a book in the Bible. And yet, through history, people just don't know what to do with it because it's a difficult book. In verse 3, we see the favor of God. And uh, very simply, we've seen this before, but in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And so uh, in the early church, when you think about John getting this letter and taking it back to the churches, the only way they had exposure to it was in church, someone would stand up and read from a scroll out loud. They didn't have Bibles at home. We do. They didn't. And you can bet they were paying attention. I'm sure there were people who still drifted off. But um, they listened carefully to the Word of God. And this is a blessing. And this is, there are seven blessings in the book of Revelation, sometimes called the seven beatitudes of the book of Revelation. And this is the first one. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. So those, those who read it, those who hear it, and take it to heart what is written in it. So there is a blessing, a favor from God who accept this as true and who uh, begin to shape their life around what's been instructed here in this book, who live in obedience. This is a, there's a direct application as to the entire book, but perhaps for us more importantly, the application extends to all of the Bible, all of the revelation of the word of God that we have. Why? Because the time is near. It is coming, and that time refers to the end time. It doesn't mean Jesus could come today. That's what I understand about the Bible. Everything I know that's happened and everything that's predicted happened, he could come today. And do you remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 35? 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus said, what I say, when I speak and declare the word of God, it will never pass away. That's true of all of the Bible. It will never pass. This physical world will be destroyed, but God's word will not change. Another great passage is uh, John 8, 31. So I know we're getting used to the screens, and they're different, and they're different location. We've got to turn way over here, way over there, and we're going to be working on this in the future. And We know there's a, an eight-foot screen in the center, but we don't have any projector, and we're going to be working on that, so uh, be patient. And we just got our internet, and it's very basic, and we're working on that because we know there's a lot of things we can do, but there, there really wasn't enough time to do that. We do have internet, so that's a good thing. So here we are. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He's saying, if you pay attention, if you follow, if you do what I instruct you to do, you are really a genuine follower of Christ. That's the test of discipleship. How can you tell if you're really a follower of Christ? Are you following? Do, do you do what Jesus said to do? Do you follow his instructions? And then he said in 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Please notice there's a very close correlation between um, hearing God's word, embracing God's word, following God's word and knowing more truth and having that truth set you free. So you should expect if you study the word of God and get to know the word of God, You will know more truth, and you will have more freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from addictions. Freedom in spiritual warfare. God's word is living and powerful. So here's an application for us, church. It's pretty simple. Commit to regular Bible reading this summer. Now, God didn't take a break this summer. He's still speaking through his word to his people. I know about summer. I like summer. I do things differently. I try to relax more. I try to get outside more. It's all good. Sometimes it's a great time for vacations. It's all good. We don't have to take a vacation from God. We don't have to take a vacation from reading Scripture. And uh, this is so important. And so, you know, we've entitled this uh, Refocus Your Personal Life. And um, your personal life is personal. And I don't, I don't want to know the details of your personal life. But if we focus on our spiritual lives under the Lordship of Christ, those personal things begin to shape up into the right priorities. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He's saying, take an inventory. Look at your life. Um, back to verse 1. So he says, rid yourselves. You know, we have to take an inventory and evaluate and 
Is that true of me? Are there things that I need to deal with? Do I need to just bring those to God and say, God, I really messed up. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me to confess our sins? Yes, there's a place for that. And then verse 2, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Um, I don't have to explain to you about newborn babies. Um, they love milk. That's, that's what they need for their digestive system. And I know that digestive systems, systems in babies is really complicated sometimes. But in general, babies, they need milk. They don't want food. Um, and um, if they're not sick, they, they, they desire. And if, you, if they're hungry, they tell you. you you're going to know it. And uh, he says, if you are a Christ follower... You should be like a newborn baby and, and crave spiritual milk. And he's talking about spiritual milk. And that's a reference to the word of God. And that's what's used in 1 Corinthians 3 and Hebrews chapter 5. It, milk sometimes is used for the word of God. And we should have an appetite for it unless we're sick, like when a baby doesn't crave milk. You know, there, there are many things that... Um, sort of disrupt our ap appetite when, when we begin to focus on um, all kinds of things that, that take our time away. We get busy. We can be too busy. Uh, our jobs take up too much time. Our families take up too much time. We're getting into a priority problem. And there's a lot of things that are important in life. And Sometimes we lose our appetite for Scripture because we let, we're, we're letting circumstances dictate our priorities. And why is this important in verse 2? So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If Peter were here, he might say to us, grow up, people. And, and we, we are and we can and we will. And we, we all need the Word of God to help us grow up. And that is number one, me. Um, in verses uh, 4 through 8, God wants us to know the end from the beginning. So that's not... Oh, let me just... Uh, I, I, I sort of forgot the rest of my application here um, about Bible reading. It's important. But I know that in this room... There are people at every level, people who have been committed followers of Christ for years. You know a lot about the Bible, and you have a regular input from Scripture pretty much every day. There's quite a few of you here in this room. Some of you are brand new. This, the Bible thing is really strange. It's new. You don't know a lot about it. It may be embarrassing to you. I know as a Christ... when. When I, I came a Christ follower when I was 25 and I knew practically nothing about it, I was pretty embarrassed to be around people who knew a lot about it. But everybody can learn. And, and a healthy church ought to have people at all stages, people who don't know anything, people who know a little bit, people who are kind of partially through, and people who have a lot. And uh, that's really important. So... If you've been a Christ follower for a long time and it's been a while since you were in Scripture, I want to just encourage you, re-engage with God through His Word. Set aside some time. It doesn't have to be a long time. You would be amazed how much you can read in, in a few minutes. Like, try a chapter a day. If you're new to the Bible, 
I'd encourage you to open a Bible to the table of contents. That's always the best way to find a book. Uh, when you're new, is to go to the table of contents. Never be embarrassed about going to the table of contents. I would encourage you to find the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament. And start reading the book of John. And try reading one chapter a day, okay? You can do that. You'd be amazed. Don't worry about how much you don't understand. Think about what do you understand. That's how you'll start learning. And there may be people who can help answer any questions that you have. Um, if, if it's been a while since you've engaged with God, try one of the, one of the letters, one of Paul's letters. Try um, Galatians, try Ephesians, try Philippians, try Colossians. Try 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. If you need to start, try a chapter a day. You can read through the entire Bible by reading three or four chapters a day. There's, we have a Bible reading plan online that's five days a week. You can read through the entire Bible. We have a plan that you can read through the New Testament in a year. That's a slow pace. If you're, I would not read the Old Testament before you have read the New Testament all the way through. Then go back. People start the Old Testament and they get bogged down. Or Yeah, start in the book of Genesis and they get to the begats and they're done. It's pretty discouraging. And there's a reason for it being there, but it's not the best place to start um, if the Bible is new to you. Okay, now let's go to four through eight. Secondly, God wants us to know the end from the beginning. This is something we've talked about in the past, uh, and this passage makes it so clear. God wants his people to have hope for the future. And when, they, when God's people got this book, they were being persecuted. Uh, the apostles had been put to death. The apostle John was the only one alive at this point. The rest of them had been put to death for their faith. You know, think about it. You think our times are tough sometimes. The church was under great persecution under the emperor of Domitian. Um, the destination for this book is mentioned in verse 4, and John has given specific instructions. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Asia Minor, under the authority of the Roman Empire. And we have a map, finally. It's kind of small. So we're going to see next week, uh, there's a little circle down there in the center, just below center. The, and that's the island of Patmos, and that's where John is. He's being held a prisoner because of his faith. He was thrown into a vat of boiling oil, but he did not die, and so they put him on the island. And he's now to write uh, and deliver the book of Revelation to Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, to the church there. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to them to Smyrna, to Sardis, to Thyatira, to Pergamum, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those are the seven churches. And we're going to be looking at the letters that uh, Jesus wrote to those churches and gave them an evaluation in the weeks ahead. Um, the greeting comes in verses 4 and 5. It's grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Um, 
you know, it's a common greeting in the New Testament, grace and peace, grace being God's favor. And, and, uh, you know, we're saved by grace, but it's God's favor on his people. That's a common greeting. And peace, the result of God's grace in our lives, peace with God and in our identity and our standing and as an experience as well. To you, the church, from him, Jesus, who is right now in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, he, and he is in this place because he is also can be everywhere present as God, who was, uh, who was from eternity past, who was from the beginning, implying the creator God, who is to come, yet future, the one who will be at the center of the eternal kingdom. And we saw that in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. And then this little more difficult phrase here, and from the seven spirits before his throne in heaven. Seven spirits. Well, it could be seven angels, that's possible. Most scholars believe this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. For, because seven is a reference to perfection, a way to describe God and uh, the Holy Spirit before the throne of the Father and the Son. Um, from the seven spirits. And then verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the gr- grace and peace come from Jesus as the Son of God. This idea of seven, seven spirits, uh, there's a reference three times, I believe, to the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation that call him seven spirits. Seven is kind of important in the book of Revelation. It's mentioned 54 times. So this is from Jesus, who is a faithful witness. Um, he testifies that this account is true from the beginning to the end. He's going to sign off on it in Revelation chapter 22. Just in case you have questions about the veracity of this book, Jesus says in the opening and Jesus says uh, at the closing about this book and the truth of it. And he's also described here uh, as um, firstborn from the dead. He he is the firstborn from the dead because when he was resurrected on that Easter Sunday, he was given a resurrection body, a new body fit for eternity. There were other resurrections. Jesus raised uh, Lazarus, good friend of his, from the dead. Jesus raised a small boy from death. Jesus raised a small girl from death. In the Old Testament, Elijah and Elijah raised uh, children from death. But they were to live again and to die a physical death. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead with an eternal body a body that will not change, a body that doesn't wear out, a body that doesn't decay, a body like the one that one day you will be given. The longer we hang around here, the more we think it might be a good idea. I know when you're young, it doesn't seem like a very important. And also he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. This looks to the future. In Revelation chapter 19, when, it, when Jesus appears from heaven, 
He will be revealed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. John is moved to worship in verses 5 and 6, the exaltation. To him uh, who loves us and has freed us from the sins by his blood. The Apostle John reminds us that Jesus loves us. He loved us so much that he would give his life, that he would make a sacrifice of his life, that he would lay down his life, that he would die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins because Jesus wants to make a difference in our lives. We deserve the death. This is a reminder. That's what, that's what this is bringing all up about Jesus dying for our sins. Uh, he stood in for us 2,000 years ago, and his death is so important and so valuable that it still has paid the price for all humans on earth, and it always will, because his life was infinitely valuable. This is good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what are the implications for us as a church when it comes to Roe v. Wade? Think about it. There are people who hate Christians right now. Is that true? Yeah. There's going to be some tension for the church in the days ahead. I'm really disappointed with some, how some Christians handle this. This is going to be really important. Think about this. Jesus loves those people who promote abortions. He does. Jesus died for them. Jesus wants to be in a relationship with them. He offers forgiveness. And that's our mission. Jesus loves them, and he told us to love our enemies. I, you know, it's good to have strong opinions. And it's good to stand for the truth. And we have ways to get involved but we don't have to hate anyone. We don't have to fight with anyone. We already have an enemy. We can fight with him. We have spiritual resources to do that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So I just want to remind that about our mission as we go forward. We can treat people with love and grace and dignity when they disagree with us. Verse 6, and he's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests. We are royal. We, have a, we are royal priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest is a mediator between man and God and God and man, a go-between. We are to represent people in this world at the throne of God. That includes praying for unbelievers. And we are to represent God to people in this world, and that includes unbelievers. That's our role. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And then John has just moved to worship. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And then the keynote comes in verse 7. This is the central principle to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look, he is coming with the clouds. That's Revelation 19, the revelation. Jesus is coming back, and um, 
just like he said he would. Now, think about this. Jesus told the disciples that. He told them a lot of things, and they just kind of said, oh, yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, after he died and after he was resurrected, things began to come back to them. And John remembers Jesus talked about this. Jesus said he was going to go, go away and prepare a place for them, that he would come back for them one day. And now John is seeing this. And it really makes sense to him now. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And uh, by the way, that identifies him with Daniel 7, 13. And we've seen this. And this is one of those things where the book of Revelation connects. In my vision at night, Daniel writes, 586 BC, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And the amazing thing about this is, this is a verse that Jesus used to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Israel before he was crucified. And he said, that's when you're going to see me. And they knew what he was saying because they said, that's blasphemy. He's claiming to be God. This was a term that Jesus most often used of himself, the son of man. And so uh, John connects this with um, the book of Revelation. And let's go back to Revelation, where we just were. Uh, look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him. When Jesus returns, the whole world is going to see Jesus. This is not the rapture. This is the second coming in Revelation chapter 19. The whole world will see, see him. Even those who pierced his body. Now think about this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 says, One day every knee will bow on heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Humanity, dead or alive, alive in Christ, dead in Christ, unbelievers will experience this revelation when Jesus returns in his glory. The divine author comes in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. Just like Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. We saw that a couple of weeks back. Alpha and Omega, first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The idea of continuity of life, all of life. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he's going to be there at the end when he established his kingdom forever in the book of Revelation. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus, who is right now at the right hand of God, alive in heaven. Who was? Who, who was there in the beginning? Who was there to be born of a virgin? Who was there to walk this earth and teach people? Who was there to experience death on a cross, and who was there at the resurrection. He was, and who is to come. This Jesus is the Almighty, the Almighty God. So an application for us. You've heard it before. Be ready, be watchful, and be faithful. Not new, is it? But there's a pretty strong repetition in the New Testament about this. Whenever we focus on the end times and the return of Jesus. Back to verse 7. Look, he's coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him. Question, are you ready? Are your priorities, that's how we can tell. 
Are your priorities where you want them to be? Are your priorities lined up with spiritual values? Do you have an anticipation of Jesus' return? Are you watchful? Are you paying attention to what's happening? Are you paying attention to what Scripture is saying? Are you faithful to the, to the Lord? That's a really practical one. Are you following him? That's how you can tell if you're faithful is that you're following. Are you faithful or are you just doing your own thing? You know, just managing the best you can, kind of checking with God now and then. Jesus told his followers in Matthew 24, verse 44, he said, so you must also be ready. And then we saw this way back in Matthew 24, because the son of man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. He's saying, we need to be ready. Um, and why? Because he's coming. You know, summer is a time that we like to get outside and we like to enjoy things. And it's, you know, I already said it's a great time for families and family vacations. Our schedules can be different. And I want you to consider that this could be a really good time for you to focus, refocus on your own spiritual life. It doesn't have to be complicated. But think about just doing something that would make your spiritual life a little more regular. Some time in God's Word. Some time set aside for, for prayer. Um, and it's going to start with our priorities. It starts with priorities. Students from Strayer University in Washington, D.C. went to New York City and did a survey. And they went to a park and they asked people to say, do you have to, to, to put with, with their top regrets in life? Do you have regrets for your life? And here's what they said. For one, burning bridges, you know, cutting off relationships with people they wish they hadn't have. That was a regret that somebody had. Never speaking up, being too passive when they could have stood up for something that was important or of value. They regretted that. Not being a good husband. There might be one or two of you in this room that might have regrets about that. I'm one of them. Uh, should have spent more time with the family. Well, I, 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 I wish I'd have spent more time with the family. Um, my priorities sometimes got confused with God and my job. That's easy for pastors to do. Because they think if they're always serving the church, that's always what God wants. And they can lose a priority of their family sometimes. I have regrets about that. Um, staying in my comfort zone. Sometimes we just, we don't have the courage or the boldness to step out when we should. And we're just, we just, it's just too easy to do it this way or to do nothing. Uh, someone had a regret for not saying I love you. Do you say you love people around you? enough? Do you wish you had said more? One person said, for never applying to med school. Are there decisions along the way that you wish you would have made differently? Not making the most of every day, the way we use our time. Do you regret any of that? Or not being a better friend? Ever wish that you would have done something differently in a friendship? We, we can have regrets. And uh, when it comes to priorities, 
One of the best verses I know is Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And that's not like a magical verse. But when we, when we make sure that we're starting with God and we're thinking about his values and he, he instructs us about marriage and family and work, and when we start getting some of those priorities in order, some of these other priorities just, oh, they're solved. I see what I should do here. This is important. But when we don't have, when we're not in touch with God that way, we, we get out of balance. Um, so when, when God is first in our lives, think about this. It's easier for my priorities with my family when God is first. When God is first, it's easier to see my priorities with my work or my career. When God is first, it's easier to have wisdom about handling money. When God is first, it's easier to handle my anger. I have anger. When God is first, it's easier to ha handle my anxiety. I didn't say that it's all going to go away. I'm just saying it's going to be the best resource I have. When God is first, it's easier to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Some of us guys have a hard time with that one. And so, why don't we refocus some things this summer? Can we do that? Let's stand and let's pray. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for um, your faithfulness to us. We're so grateful to be here today. I thank you for everyone who has come to, to join us and to be a part. I thank you for the word of God and your communication with us and your, your desire for us to know you and, and your desire for us to know what's coming down the line and your instructions on how we can live until then. I just ask God that uh, you'll cause us to be mindful of our own lives and are there decisions we need to make or choices that would help align our priorities with you, you, that we can find time for you, that we can process with you? And then when we face um, all the personal life issues, God, that you'll give us wisdom and that you'll help us to see what's really important and where, where those fit in and how to, how to find time to do the things that are really important for us. God, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and help us trust you with all the things that you give us in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.